on, everybody? It's your buddy. It's your Pass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, with a kind of late AEW Dynamite review for August 10th, 2022. Yeah, was uh, kind of halfway hoping that I might have some company on this one. The schedule gods, once again, did not work in our favor, so you guys are stuck with just me. And yes, typically in this time slot, if there's a pay-per-view coming up, there would be a pay-per-view preview in this time slot. And indeed, as you guys are listening to this Friday morning, uh, Impact Emergence is happening tonight, uh, Friday the whatever, 12th um, of August, and I can't really preview that because I haven't watched a lick of Impact in about a month because other things other things have taken over, and other, even when I'm not doing anything, other TV things have, have taken over, so I could come up here and be like, hey, here's some matches with some people I like, and here's who I'd like to win, but that would be... I mean that would be that would be skin and bones type of uh, type of previewing, would it not? So you got this for your Friday instead of for your Thursday. Uh, one quick plug I do want to put in: um, I did do a pod on what's happened since Triple H took over WWE. It dropped on Monday. I'm going to do another one over the course of this weekend because uh, there's a lot to talk about and a lot of reasons to be hopeful. And uh, I might do this up until the next pay-per-view, which is, I believe, Clash at the Castle. So if you guys like that, go check it out. There will be another one dropping on Monday. Uh, we've already had Raw. Obviously, SmackDown hasn't happened because SmackDown hasn't happened. So, um, yeah, please go check that out. Uh, if you like it, tune in uh, this coming Monday. Uh, there will be another one. And, yeah, I did read the comments from Tony Khan uh, over the past weeks, basically saying, yeah, there's some cool stuff happening over there, which is good for all of wrestling. So, nice, good, positive uh, reaffirmation, I guess you could say, from Mr. Tony Khan, who is probably a good guy, even if a little bit cocaine-induced on Twitter. Started off, speaking of uh, cocaine and how we started off this show, we started off with the coffin match between Darby Allin and Brody King. Um, huge size disparity, obviously, between Brody King and Darby Allin. So Darby Allin attacked him during his entrance. What I didn't know was that Brody King comes out to his own entrance and stuff. Hold on. Nothing like tech issues right at the beginning of the pod. I don't know where that cut off exactly, so I hope the editing comes together okay. Darby Allin, Brody King... Big guy, small guy, big guy comes out to his own band's music, which I didn't realize, and gets attacked by Darby Allen. There's a thumbtack skateboard introduced straight away, and Brody King's face is busted open within, what, the first 30 seconds of the match. Darby Allen gets tossed around by King, because of course he does. Um, I, I've, I've written down typical bulldog Darby Allen style, which sounds really condescending, but it's really not, and he does hit a second rope code red um, on, on the big man. From the second rope and it does look cool but it also looks very cooperative i'm not taking the shit out of these two guys they fucking killed each other they did it they did table stuff on the outside both during and after the commercial break and no one is there for a bloody brody headbutt as i've got written down because alliteration is fun Lights off, lights on, the entire House of Black is there, so it's basically three and a half on one. There's a corner cannonball through the table by Brody King. Sting comes out of the coffin, who's on the, uh, the coffin's on the rampway. They move it into a very certain, convenient, specific spot by ringside, which is nice. I don't know why they bother with this. Sting's in the coffin, and there's thumbtacks on the inside of the coffin, so if you had to open it, 
then you would have cut your hands up. But if you're in it and they're opening it to get you out, haven't you already lost? It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. Sting's in the coffin. I will say this as well. And I'm not picking on Sting. I like Sting. I respect Sting. Uh, what he is doing right now within AEW, he's there to help everybody else out, and he's there basically doing this partnership with Darby Allen, and it's all very cool. Buddy Murphy standing outside the ring by the coffin and sort of waiting patiently for Sting to sort of like old man get up out of the coffin was a little awkward, I'm not going to lie. He's got one eye painted like Aleister Black because obviously he got the mist in the face, I think like several weeks back at this point. He goes to the ring and he goes right for Aleister Black and he offers Aleister Black the bat and he walks away and Sting follows him up the rampway and Buddy Murphy at some point in the schmoz got himself knocked out as well. Suicide dive by Darby and a slam on the steps by King. Steel chain by Darby and apparently somebody had to tell me this after the fact that it was Brody King's chain. So the irony, oh my god, the irony. He hangs Brody King over the over the ropes by the chain and drops him into the coffin. <gasps> Just like Brody King did both times he choked him out in the Battle Royal and in their first encounter. And Darby gets the win because of course he does. A, it's a David and Goliath story. B, it's a one on three and a half story. And C, the coffin match is Darby Allen's match because he is AEW's own little pint size Undertaker. And I don't mean that as <laughs> condescending as it sounds. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. I didn't write down nearly enough. These guys beat the absolute piss out of each other. This show had bloody bookends on both ends of the show, like bookend, book stands, whatever you want to call them. Um, it was good. Darby Allen, they, they, I don't know what they're doing with them next because him and Sting and, and later on we're going to get to Miro as well. If we've used Darby Allen to get us to Sting versus Malachi Black, that is not... That is not a satisfying conclusion, but the only other option is a trios match that's also kind of strange. Um, we do back-to-back -back promos from Mox and Jericho plugging the main event. Mox calls himself calls the interim title the FYI title, just like the FTW title, because he's mad that people call it the interim title, and later on in the night, William Regal is mad that they call it the interim title, but guess what, Moxley? It is the interim title. Rene Paquette is sleeping with the interim AEW champion, not the actual AEW champion. Oh, and fuck yes. And we get the brackets for the Trios tournament. First of all, my biases are what they are. I like rock and roll, Triple H, black and gold, NXT, as you guys know. So the fact that the Undisputed Era are not physically fit to be in this tournament is a bummer. But we're going to get Death Triangle versus Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. Decent, I guess. I was going to say that Osprey and Aussie Open are sort of like the outsiders, so you don't figure they're going to go very far, but also Pac has been defending the All-Atlantic title everywhere but AEW, so that, on the whole, is a bit of a cool dynamic. We've got the House of Black versus the Dark Order. It doesn't specify who it is from the Dark Order, so it's very, very hard to care about the Dark Order. Best Friends versus the Trustbusters, and we're going to get that. We're going to get to that later on. And Andrade, we're going to get this next week, Andrade, Dragon Lee, and Roosh, which is a fantastic team. Never seen Dragon Lee up until the, the past recent uh, ROH show in his match against Roosh, who I hadn't seen very much 
much of either. Uh, this trio is a lot of fun. Uh, I feel very bad for them that they're going to get squashed in the first round because they're facing the Young Bucks and <gasps> question mark, fill in the blank, who could it be? Oh my god, the tension. Except not really. Speaking of Rush and Andrade, Rush and Andrade versus the Lucha Brothers in a tornado tag, which was something that they've been trying to build to for a couple of weeks, but apparently this, that, and the next thing, and the very, very next thing have all gotten in the way of this match actually happening. So it's one of those, we finally got the match on the card type of things. Um, speed versus stopping speed is the story of the match, and that sounds awkward, I know, because usually you would say speed versus speed, or speed versus power, or power versus power, but it's not really any of those. It's the Lucha Brothers flying around, and Andrade and Rouge continuously slapping them out of the air, or being the proverbial brick walls. Um, a lot of this, and please... Please understand that I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy this match because I did, but a lot of the first, I would say, three quarters of this match is first gear, solid, enjoyable, if a little bit long. Uh, eventually, they turn it up a notch, and Phoenix starts doing awesome Phoenix stuff, and there's a backbreaker by Penta. Eddie chants for a frog splash by Phoenix, even though the frog splash misses, which is kind of cool. Apron Destroyer by Penta, who gets his mask tied to the ropes, and I'm sorry, I know the mask, the lucha heritage, the culture, and all that thing is a huge thing. I get it. I respect it to a certain degree as much as I can, not following Lucha Libre specifically. But they've gone to this well a lot, specifically with the Lucha Brothers. Um, as uh, as Phoenix is getting double-teamed by Rouge and Andrade, eventually uh, Penta just rips, uh, rips away from the mask. He goes into the ring with an uncovered face uh, to break up a cover. And as he goes for a secondary mask that's under the ring, because apparently that's a thing, uh, that gets tossed into the crowd as well as the crowd chants, send it back. And then we get the, the match that we really wanted, which is Alex Abrahantes versus Jose the Assistant on the outside. Um, Penta's down once again because he's, like, hiding his face. Um... Ray Phoenix is stuck in a two-on-one handicap situation. He gets the bull's horns from Roosh, which is fucking brutal looking. Um, that's what a Nidiora is supposed to look like. Trasha Banks. Uh, followed up with the Hammerlock DDT by Andrade that looked like it fucking wrecked. Put him into the ground like the proverbial tent spike. And Andrade and Roosh get the win. Um, I was about to say this gives them momentum going into the Trios tournament, but the uh, Death Triangle are also in the tournament, so I don't know what we did there. The mask thing is is too much. It is. Like, they've done it too many times now, and every time I see Penta, especially when I see Penta unmasked, I always hear the uh, the Adam Cleary story from What Culture about the time that he met Penta and referred to him as Rey Mysterio's little mate, which makes me smile. Um, go back to any and all of their live streams where that was a thing, and that was definitely a thing. Um, I'm, I'm nitpicking the hell out of this match because I like all... I mean... Big fan of Andrade. Glad they're finally using him a bit better. I'm glad they're not doing the Andrade, Matt Hardy, family office bullshit anymore, which is good. Roosh is a guy that I'm just starting to get to know in AEW, so that's always good. The Lucha Brothers are always fun. Maybe don't put so many tassels on your mask and you might have a better day. Oh yes, and if we can turn the pages without everything falling apart, that would be great. We get the ongoing long saga of the breakup of the Elite. We get the Bucks 
looking for Hangman Page, and Hangman Page is hanging out with the Dark Order. They want Hangman Page to be their third so that they can be, say it with me and be disgusted with me, so that they can be the hung bucks in the trio's tournament. Hangman says no. Uh, he accepts their apology for all their mistreatment and all their heel shenanigans, but he says, look, uh, you know what, when I when I was struggling, when I was leading up to getting my world title, the uh, what do you call it? the Dark Order were in my corner. Now I'm going to be in their corner as they become trios champions. Now, here's the thing again. There was Johnny Hungy. There was one. There was ten. And there was one of the other ones there. So there was at least four of them standing there. They still didn't specify who the th who the three are going to be representing the the Dark Order, which tells me there's going to be some weird, sappy story where Hangman needs to step in. And if it's like Hangman and 1 and 10 that win the trios tournament and Johnny Hungy's not in it for some reason or whatever, that's really going to bum me out. Give me Johnny Hungy and 1 and 10 as a team, that's that's fine, that's cool. I like I like that they finally started putting the, the two masked members together with uh, with Evil Uno and, and 10. I know that partially has to be because Stu Grayson isn't in the company anymore. Um, Alan Five Angels uh, popped up on Impact the last time I was watching Impact and looked like he was having a good fucking time, so let's see how that goes. He still had Alan, uh, or the Dark Order colors on his ring gear and everything. <sighs> Another story that I'm really enjoying right now that needs to... There's a lot of stories in AEW right now that need the pay-per-view to be faster because I'm looking forward to the match that they're leading to, but I'm not relishing in how long it's taking us to get there. One of those is Jungle Boy and Christian Cage. So we had Jungle Boy on commentary while Luchasaurus was squashing Anthony Henry in the ring. There's nothing for me to say in the ring because it was a Luchasaurus squash other than the fact that his new, new, new finisher is called the Fossilizer. Oh, yes. Christian Cage shows up on the Tron. He starts talking some shit to Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy leaves commentary. Luchasaurus uh, leaves the ring. They both go find Christian. They're both broken up by officials in the back. And Luchasaurus headbutts head Pat Buck. Oh, yes. This didn't need to exist. Christian Cage and Jungle Boy is something I want to see, but I need to see it, like, this Sunday. <laughs> or else it's going to go... Very, very strange. Um, tying back into the House of Black stuff from earlier on in the night and my assertion that we might get a trios match uh, out of this as well, we get another weird Miro promo talking about Malachi Black, except in his dark little room where he cuts his weird god redeemer promos. He is, ironically, I should say this first, ironically, he is doing what Malachi Black did in WWE when he was Aleister Black, when he was in the, he when he was cutting his promos in the dark room and he was like, pick a fight uh, with me, uh, except he's doing that to Malachi. Julia steps in and basically says, we're trying to give you a gift and you need to embrace it and it's very strange, and he says, I'm going to use your gift to beat you, and I really don't care what the gift is. I think we're going to get, like I say, I think we're going to get a weird pairing or trio of Darby Allen, Sting, and Miro taking on the, uh, the House of Black, which is a weird combination of people, but also a combination of people that I wouldn't mind kicking the shit out of each other, because as much as I like both guys, Malachi Black versus Sting in a one-on-one -on -one match is not something I want to see. Uh, Jay Lethal and company come out really awkward. They, they look like they shouldn't have been on the show at this particular time. This, and I, I hate when people say this because it's being used as, a, as an adjective, uh, like it's just a spoken fact, like everything WWE does is shit, and it's not. But this was very, very WWE. 
Lethal and company come out and talk some shit to Wardlow because Lethal had a shot at the TNT title uh, last week on Rampage that we knew he wasn't going to win, but they put him through the table at the end. Uh, they talk some shit, they want a rematch, etc. Wardlow comes out, nobody's dressed to fight, Wardlow accepts, but he says, that's going to be later, right now I'm just going to kick the shit out of you. He randomly gets joined by FTR, and Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt leave the ring, and Jay Lethal thinks it's a good idea to stay, and he gets a big rig from FTR, and FTR are really awkward coming down to the ring, because they're trying to carry all three of their belts, and and Wardlow has a belt, and this is another trios thing, that we're, we're building random other trios matches outside of what should be the focused trios tournament, which I think is very strange, but ultimately, here is, here's the thing, and here's the thing, I don't care about Satnam saying whatsoever, I don't think they're presenting Sanjay Dutt as a actual wrestler, they're presenting him as more of a manager, and Jay Lethal, I like Jay Lethal, but man, are they geeking him out right now. On the other side of the coin, you got Wardlow, who just picked up his first singles title, let him go on a singles run and wreck people. That needs to happen. You can't put a brand new... You can't have this person who, who... This is the first bit of singles gold they have ever won and throw them in these different situations. The other, other side of that is if FTR is joining this mix, there's a very unique situation. There's a very unique sort of goal right now that sits on the show. I'm dropping things. Excuse me. There's a very unique goal right now that sits on the shoulders of not only FTR, but also Swerve and Our Glory, because those are the two respective sets of tag team championships right now. The Swerve and Our Glory have the actual AEW tag titles, whereas FTR have the ROH, AAA, and New Japan tag team titles. So while the brand new shiny thing in AEW is going to be these new trios titles, this new trios division, you need the tag team champions to poke their heads up, make a good showing of themselves, and be like, yeah, we know you guys are excited about trios wrestling, but hey, let, let's us go out there and remind you that proper tag team wrestling is still pretty fucking cool, considering... That's what AEW was sold on about three years ago, was the tag team division, because we know it wasn't the women's division. Oh, yes. In the back, the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society hype up the main event for later on tonight. They're getting excited for their buddy Jericho. They're going to have a lot of the bottles of the bubbly in the back and all that sort of thing. And Garcia calls out Daniel or Brian Danielson again, calls himself the Dragon Slayer. Again, we're going to get to that later. And Anna JAS chokes out some rando in the back. I love the Anna JAS character now because her thing is just like, I really, really, really just want to choke somebody out. Somebody give me a reason to choke somebody out. You're not going to give me a reason to choke somebody out? I'll make up a reason to choke somebody out. I think it was Rebel. I don't know. I, I read that in a, in a write-up afterwards. I didn't see because the camera kind of pans back because they actually do... Uh, relatively well with the, you know, if it wasn't supposed to happen, it doesn't get filmed like it was exactly supposed to happen. <sighs> really, really cool. Really, really like this. Uh, we got some more. Uh, we got some more news about the Jericho Appreciation Society later, specifically with Sammy and Tay. But we will get there when we get there. Ricky Starks versus Aaron Solo in response to QT Marshall asking Ricky Starks to join the factory. Now, here's the problem. Everything I just said about the, uh, everything I have said, sorry, about the Dark Order recently is like, I, I like them. They're a good enough team. They're a good enough bunch of guys. They build up the numbers. They were a big part of the Hangman Page story, if that was your cup of tea. But they are a jobber group at the end of the day. 
And the factory is the heel version of the Dark Order, is it not? Um, Ricky Starks' Neutron looks like it was made out of leftover graphics from the Road Rager shows, which is fine. Ricky's posing um, leads leads him to get tripped by one of the guys outside by the factory, and they get ejected pretty fucking quick. He, he hits a really nice jawbreaker, and a jawbreaker is a pretty standard move in this case, but I like the way he does the jawbreaker, because he almost looks like he's going for a collar and elbow tie-up, and then he drops, and it's just, it's a little bit, because everybody else that does it just looks like they're hugging the head, and he does it. I'm, I'm waving my hands around like you guys can see me, like this isn't an audio platform, but... The way, he, the way he goes into it is just a little bit different. Top rope tornado, DDT, a fake out, and a spear get the win for Starks. And then the factory start to come back, and there's a spine buster to Nick Camarado. Now, here's the thing. Starks is another one that they are going to try and push. I'm sure Starks is somebody, sooner, sooner than later, that is going to be on a popularity par with somebody like a Darby Allen. Beginning of the night we had Darby Allen versus Brody King, which was awesome. It was a size game. It was a speed versus power type thing. So the problem, the, the, the good thing about that is I care about Darby Allen, but more so Brody King is in a whole group that I care about. Nick Camarado is part of the factory who I don't give a shit about. So if we get Ricky Starks versus Nick Camarado, this will be the lesser, not goth, not quite as good version of the opener that we had tonight. That's just my take. It's fine. In the back, Stokely Hathaway tries to recruit the gun club right in front of Billy Gunn, which is fine. He's telling them that they they suck pretty much for losing in the match that he made famous. Pretty sure you don't want to brag about the dumpster match, but that's fine. We find out that Billy Gunn has set up a match for his boys on Rampage versus... Uh, sorry, he set them up a match on Rampage. Danhausen walks into the room. He says, "Yes, I'm. I'm going to be fighting you along with the guy with the beard." And I'm like, <coughs> "I'm like, oh, this could be a lot of people. This could be a lot of people." In the back, we hear some bickering between the Trustbusters and the best friends. Now, I can't tell you a single thing that they said because. I wasn't paying attention to anything they said. What I was paying attention to, because he sticks out like a fucking sore thumb, is I totally forgot when I heard about this, one of the trust busters is fucking Parker Boudreaux. So for you NXT fans out there, Harland is all elite. Oh fucking yes. What do we got next? What do we got next? We're having a decent time with the show tonight. Let's make Spaz cry just a little bit. Jade Cargill versus Madison Rain for the TBS Championship. First of all, gonna say the same thing that I said about Deanna Prazo. You guys know, even though, even though I'm not watching it consistently, I do think Impact deserves more attention. I do think Impact deserves to be on more proper television screens. I do think they deserve to be in bigger buildings. I do think they deserve a larger audience. When Deanna Prazo came in, even though it was to get jobbed out to Mercedes Martinez and drop the belt, I was really happy to see Deanna Prazo in front of an AEW-sized crowd. The same thing goes here for Madison Rain, and the fact that she has been hired on, not only as part of the roster, but to work backstage as well in sort of this player-coach role, is fucking great. You've already got, uh, you've already got the idiots online, A, that defend AEW no matter what, and B, that think... Jade Cargill is good. They're saying, oh, AEW's doing a little bit of the WWE here. They're just hiring a Barbie doll. You're a fucking idiot. That's all I got. Great to see Madison in AEW. Uh, Jade eats the post early, and Rain proves throughout the entire match that she is 
quite a, quite substantially a better wrestler and then loses because it's Jade Cargill and that's just what happens. Post-match beatdown by Athena sets up the proper match and the proper opponent for All Out and the proper, hopefully, new TBS Championship. Please come along. Please, Athena, please save this title from Jade Cargill. And I've already got... This is the thing. This is the thing that I love about social media. And I'm really trying to cut back on my, on my comments about identity politics, specifically in wrestling. But goddamn, they came back years and years and years ago on Twitter. I got reamed out. Because apparently I'm racist. And why am I racist? Is it because I don't like Sasha Banks? Yeah, probably. I got racist for saying... that I got called racist, rather, because I said Ember Moon is better than Naomi. Now, if you can explain that legitimately, put it down in the box below. Now, ever since Athena came to AEW and she set her sights on Jade Cargill, I said, please, please book Athena to save that belt from Jade Cargill because she's fucking terrible. And those same people are back. Now I am racist against Jade Cargill because I'm cheering for Athena. Yep, that's an actual thing that's actually happening in actual 2022. Then we get the news, or actually this is partially announced during the Madison Rain getting robbed by Jade Cargill, but uh, Chris Statlander is injured, which pushes uh, Tony Storm into the number one contendership spot. There's a sort of an awkward, uh, I don't even know what you want to say, an awkward sort of co-interview between the two of them, and it was sort of, they were trying to pull off that whole... I respect you, but I came here to get that belt, but I, res I still respect you, but I'm coming for that belt, but I still respect you, and da-da-da-da-da. And it wasn't great, and I like Tony Storm, and I like Thunder Rosa, and if they save this match for All Out, which I'm hoping that they do, it will be a good match. They just got stood next to each other in a really awkward position. It's like two friends applying for the same job, and... You want to be happy for the other person, but you want to be happy for yourself. But it was, it wasn't great. And I, like I say, I hate saying that because Thunder Rosa is a great champion. Tony Storm will be a great challenger. I don't even know necessarily if I think Tony Storm would beat her for the title, or if I even want her to beat her for the title. But I do want to see her positioned as somebody that is in that conversation, to say the very least. And then we get the rundown. We get the rundown as, uh, as what's his name, Excalibur tries not to lose all of his breath at once. So we're going to run this run this down. On Rampage, we're getting Gun Club versus Danhausen and Eric Redbeard. What the fuck is that match? We're getting Sonny Kiss versus Harland. And I'm sorry, I know he's Parker Boudreaux. I know Harland was a horrible, horrible product of NXT 2.0 creation. But I'm still going to say it because it's funny. Uh, the Trustbusters are going to be working double that night as Orange Cassidy takes on Ari Davari. I couldn't care less, which is sad because Aria Davari is a good wrestler as well, and Orange Cassidy is just fucking lost. But what kills me, or what kills me in the in the sense of I would skip Rampage, except this might actually be good. Sammy Guevara and Tay Mello, who's dropped her other last name, because apparently her other last name was from her previous partner, so that totally makes sense. People made a huge deal out of that, and I'm like, why let her do her... I, I would have I laughed a lot if, if they just came out as Sammy and Tay Guevara, 
that would have been good. They're facing Dante Martin, because of course they are, and Sky Blue for reasons. Defending their, I love this because I want a company that I actually want to adopt this, Mixed Tag Team Championships. They are the AAA Mixed Tag Team Champions at the moment. They're defending against Dante Martin and Sky Blue. And I've seen the the two belts are two different colors, which I think is even cooler. I think there's it, it exemplifies the mixed nature of the tag team titles, which is really, really cool. Next week on Dynamite, we've got Andrade, Roosh, and Dragon Lee versus the Bucks and Question Marks. So here's the deal. Here's my problem right here. Okay, actually, I should say, Tony Storm is going to face Kylan King next week, and uh, Daniel Garcia is facing Brian Danielson in a two-out-of-three falls match, which is awesome, which we'll talk more about in a moment. Here's the thing. The Bucks need a partner, and it's not going to be Hangman Page, and it's not going to be Adam Cole, and it's not going to be either of the members of Red Dragon, and the only other option left, really, is Kenny Omega. Is this the return of Kenny Omega? Now, you guys know I have a, I have a sort of a mixed history as far as my my wrestling fandom goes in Kenny Omega. I think Kenny Omega is a great wrestler. I I've enjoyed a lot of the matches that I've seen him in. I think he's pretty damn good. I'm proud to say he's from Canada. We get a uh, we get a, a rerun of the Kenny Omega uh, wrestling love story. Uh, documentary about once a month on TSN, which is the sports affiliate up here in Canada that covers uh, that covers AEW. So uh, Kenny Omega ain't, ain't bad, and I've always said that he is a great wrestler. I don't get the god tier status, but put my own views aside. Kenny Omega comes back next week. That's going to be a huge pop, as they say. Problem with that is, if Kenny Omega comes back. And he's partnering with the Bucks for the Trios tournament. You might as well not have the tournament. Because they're going to win. So if Kenny Omega comes next week, that'll be cool. I'm sure the match will be great. Andrade, Roosh, and Dragon Lee will be great fall guys for the Elite. Um, but you might as well not have the tournament at that point. That is just That's just my honest opinion. Because the only other team in there, storyline-wise, that are that they're going to let even touch the Bucks and Kenny Omega would be the Undisputed Era. And two-thirds of them are injured. Two-thirds of them are injured, and that's not going to happen. So if it's Kenny Omega, awesome, cool, whatever, but it also means you can take this entire bracket and flush it down the toilet. My honest opinion on that. Jericho versus Moxley. They beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. Jericho comes out in cosplay as the 20-year-old, 20 20-years-older 20 version of the... Uh, What's it called? The Lionheart. He does a lot of cool stuff. He goes um, doing moonsaults to show that he can and 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 all that type of thing. Doing leaning into the uh, technical side of things just to show that he can and also ripped out Moxley's earring and everybody bled and that's what they do. And I think he got busted open hard way on the forehead. Uh, Jericho did as well. Um, he lost. <laughs> Like, it is what it is. No, I don't think anybody realistically thought that Jericho had a chance here. It was very strange. And not to be cynical and not to be that guy, but you knew that this match was here so that Mox could get a win and so that something could happen after it. And something did happen after it because Jericho lost, Moxley won. Moxley is still the interim AEW Championship. Out 
comes everybody, the Blackpool Combat Club comes out and uh, Eddie Kingston tags along because of course he does. Jericho Appreciation Society comes out. Uh, what's his name? Sammy Guevara tries to toss Floyd, the most aptly named weapon in wrestling, uh, to Chris Jericho and it misses, which is awesome. And then you hear the... And we get the return of CM Punk, which was fucking awesome. He kind of looks like he's going for that borderline Wolverine thing that he had going a while ago. He comes out hopping on uh, what was supposedly his injured foot, which is just to show that he's all good. The commentators go out of their way to say, why is he here? He's not cleared, which is a little bit of salesmanship that I like. And apparently, if you listen to the dirt sheets, and by the dirt sheets, I mean literally what culture, uh, apparently he was at a Comic-Con over the weekend limping like crazy to sell the fact that he was nowhere near coming back just yet and getting everybody just a little bit worried. So salesmanship on that front as well, absolutely awesome. Stare down between Moxley and Punk is what it is. He puts the interim tag team title on his shoulder, flips off Punk and leaves. This is what we're getting it all out. This is going to be fantastic. It's, it's all good. All out is starting to look really fucking good. Right now, if you ask me what All Out looks like, it looks like Punk versus Mox, which is going to be awesome. It probably looks like Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm, Athena versus uh, Jade Cargill. Are they going to unify the last set of tag team titles and put them on FTR so that they're carrying four belts each? I don't really know. I don't know who who Wardlow defends against, if I'm honest. Um... If Pac is involved with the Trios Tournament, I don't think we'll see the All-Atlantic Championship defended. We'll get the finals of that Trios Tournament, which is probably, let's be real, going to be the Bucks and Kenny Omega. Um, it's a good, it's a good, decent show. You're going to get something with the House of Black and some combination of Sting, Darby, and Miro, which is going to be weird. Because if it's not, then that means you're going to get, like, Buddy Murphy and, and Brody King versus Sting and Darby, and then Miro versus Malachi as a singles. And as much as I don't want to see the trios, those two matches separately are going to make you say, well, why didn't you just throw them all in one match? Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to do with, uh, with that either. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. Great opener, great closer, some cool stuff in the middle, some stuff that they still need to tidy up in the middle as well. They need to stop sacrificing good wrestlers to Jade Cargill. Um, next week, however, I mean, this, is where all, this is where all the puns come in because it's tired in here and because I can. Next week's episode of Dynamite is sponsored by uh, House of the Dragon, the, the um, Game of Thrones prequel series that's starting in like two weeks. And this is cool for me because I'm looking forward to that a lot. I'm actually watching a bit of old Game of Thrones to get myself ready for new Game of Thrones. Um, it's not like a while ago when they tried to do a Godzilla versus King Kong tie-in, and it was like Bear Bronson versus Luchasaurus, which is not an ape and not Godzilla, but meh. Um, but yeah, no, it's a pretty cool tie-in. Like the, graf the graphics for it look exceptional, uh, which is why you do get uh, the American Dragon Brian Danielson taking on the Dragon Slayer, Daniel Garcia. You've got a trios match that includes Dragon Lee. Uh, since it is a Game of Thrones tie-in, I wonder if Ricky Starks is going to have a match. And I really do wish, I really, really, really do wish that this Game of Thrones 
themed episode of Dynamite was the one happening up here in Toronto in about two months so that I could pull the ultimate nerd card and point at the very first person that wins the very first match of the night and call them the King of the North. Oh yes, I've been Spaz, your YWC Reality Check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation, keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger, I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, tagging out. Bye guys.